Wow, wow. <laughs> thank you, thank you, ladies, for being part of this month uh, edition of Gettman Women Fellowship. I am so glad I have with me here my very good friend, Tokes Arotore. Tokes will be sharing with us how to reconnect back with the power of the Holy Spirit how, after going through trials. Uh, really, I really don't know who can, I mean, talk about this better than Tokes. And that's why I have asked her to share this with us. So, Tokes, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me to share my story. I feel very privileged to be here. I want to share a part of my journey that I've gone through over the last seven to 10 years um, and hope that you will be blessed by what I have to share. Some years ago, my husband and I moved abroad in search of a better life. We moved with our children, sold all we had, and we moved, moved to the US. And life in the States was absolutely perfect. We had everything we needed. We had a thriving business. Um, and we were not prepared for the shock that the recession brought in 2008. The recession affected our business and we lost pretty much everything and had to move back to the United Kingdom, which is where we were from originally. So having moved back, I'm watching my life seemingly fall apart before me. I'm watching the business slowly die, a painful death, and through it all, I couldn't see Christ, I couldn't see God, I searched for God, I asked where he was, I asked him why he was permitting this to happen, um, I just spent a lot of time praying, crying, searching, um, and then eventually decided one day to take some time out to pray. Prior to praying, I had been reading the Bible, but I no longer believed the Bible because it didn't seem to match up to what my life had become, where the Bible said, gave scriptures like, you know, I will provide for you and I'll meet you at the point of your needs and our needs were not being met. Um, and then I... I had now started to um, read only the words of Christ in red because I had one of those Bibles that said that they had the words of Christ in red. And the reason I read only that part was I no longer believed the Bible. I thought, well, that's written by man, so perhaps there are flaws and errors in it. But the part that's written, that's said, uttered by Christ, we can't deny that Jesus said those words. So I started to read only the words of Christ in red, and I would read... Um, the book of John and, you know, the Gospels and just search for the words of Christ in red and uh, read particularly when Jesus was going up to heaven and he spoke to the disciples and he said, I will send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And I meditated and read that part over and over and prayed it. And I would say, you know, um, Holy Spirit, if you're here, hear me, help me. You're my helper. You're my counselor. Counsel me, help me, show me what to do. When things came to a head, I decided to um, spend a go on a three-day fast and I said to my husband you know what when you know we, we're, we're not going to ask for help we're not going to receive help either from man the Bible says that the children of God don't beg for bread so how about we find out if it's valid in our time because if it's not valid and God no longer answers prayers it's easier for us to know and address things from a more from a clearer point of view than being deluded into thinking the word of God you know we're just following blindly going to heaven and so I made a pact with God if you like and I said you know what God I'm going to go on a three-day fast I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to 
you know, repent completely of all known sins. And just to cover all bases, I gave my life to Christ all over again. I, I plead the blood of Jesus over me. You know, Lord, forgive me every unrighteousness, every sin, inherited sin, you know, unconfessed sin, unknown sin, whatever. Just forgive me, cleanse me. And then I thought, okay, now I'm righteous enough to come before your presence. And I began asking the Holy Spirit for help. And I said, Lord, if at the end of this three-day fast, you actually don't respond because I was praying with all of the faith that I could muster. I said, if, if you don't respond and I'm praying according to your word, then I know that you are not true for me. It's not to say that I'm going to backslide, but instead what will happen is look at the heathen in the world. There are many, many unsaved people who are hugely successful. I would look to them for guidance instead because I clearly have a better chance of being successful following the people who are successful than believing in a God that I'm not hearing from. And I really did mean it. That was the plan. I wasn't planning on you know, backsliding or not going to church because I do love the Christian life and I believe that you know, Jesus is the way, but I just felt like perhaps the word of God is not relevant for me and for this time that we're in. Maybe it was relevant for the earlier Christians, but it really isn't relevant for our time. And that was what I needed to find out. So I went on a, we started praying and I just lay down. I didn't shower. I didn't do anything. I just lay down in the corner in my room. And I was just like, in the, for the first day, all I could do was just say Jesus. I just was just saying Jesus because I had no words. I had prayed for, for months. You know, nothing had happened. And I just was done. And I just started, I was just crying out to Jesus. And I would read the words of Christ in red again. And I would say, Jesus, you said this. You know, and I would imagine Jesus being there or imagine myself being there at the time when Jesus said those words to the disciples before he ascended to heaven when he said, I will send you a helper. He would help you. He will comfort you. He'll be your counselor. And whatever you ask in my name, I would give to you. And the Father has given all things to me. Therefore, what he has given, and I have given what everything I have, I've given it on to you. And I read all these and I believed it and I prayed along those lines. By the middle of the second day, or was it, wasn't it even the end of the first day, my husband got a phone call, a text or a phone call or an email to say that, um, to ask him to start work the next day. There was no interview, there was no, nothing, there was even no job application. They just saw his CV online and, and they called him and he started work. And I thought, okay, God, you know, clearly you're, you know, on the throne. Now we had, um, we had to pay our rent. Our rent was due on the Thursday and our rent was about 700 pounds and um, we didn't have the money. So I went and I said, okay, God, um, you can, thank you. Jason's, he's got a job now, you know, but now we still need our rent. We have our rent in, in a, due to be paid in about four days time. And I began, I carried on praying. I was excited about the job offer but I was still a bit concerned and I just said, you know what, well, God, I want, I want to see you move. I want to see you provide, you know, this 750, 800 pounds, however much it was. I want to see you provide that without me having to ask anybody. And um, the day two came to an end and there was still no sign of any money. And I didn't even know where the money was going to come from. I wasn't expecting any money. So I thought, okay, maybe 
God has answered. Maybe I've heard a saying, which is not in the Bible, that heaven helps those who help themselves. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's helped us to a certain point, as in he's provided the job. It's now time for us to get up and help ourselves. So um, I said to my husband, you know, you need to ask your friend for some money. I was very reluctant. And even as I said those words, I felt disturbed in my spirit, like I was disobeying God. And... Um, but I tried and I said, God, forgive me. I'm really trying hard here to trust you and to believe in you. Uh, and, and it's a bit of a struggle here. Forgive me. But, you know, we've got to kind of, you know, get some help from outside. And um, so we asked this friend and he, passed, uh, he asked for our bank details and gave, um, gave it, we gave it to him. Um, and on the Wednesday, the day before the rent was due, I checked my account to check to see if, um, the money had gone, if his money had gone in one day before the rent. And coincid and I just looked in and I saw about £8,000 in my account. And I thought, oh dear, he's obviously made a mistake, you know, he's put an extra zero accidentally. We asked for 800 and And then I looked and the money wasn't even from him. It was some money that was paid to us, that was owed to us, you know, from you know, the years that were, we hadn't even been there for a year, but it was, it was just some money that came, that, you know, was owed to us, and they chose that day to give it to us. And as a matter of fact, there had been a dispute saying that we didn't, they weren't meant to give it to us, but they did in the end. And that, we, you know, that was when my faith became sealed. That was, I could say that that was when I met God, you know, or I could say that that's the day that I gave my life to Christ, or I began living for God, and I've never looked back since then. You know, and it, it just it just solidified the truth that God is on the throne and his word is life. His word is alive. Regardless of your situation, his word is alive. During that period, which I would forever remain refer to as the dark ages of my life, um, I read a really good book called From Prison to Praise by a guy called Merlin Carruthers. I think it was published in 1969 or 1970. And that book, it's a booklet, it's only little, but that book blessed me immensely. And one of the reasons it blessed me was because he, um, there were so many different testimonies. I loved the fact that he was very honest and, and authentic and open and free about his, his faith and, in, and about his quest to find God and to have that relationship with God. He was a chaplain, he was actually... Um, uh, the, the, a chaplain or a pastor for the military in the military in the Amer in the American one of the U.S. armed forces, and um, in his desire to see spiritual moves of God and to see people being healed, he ended up dabbling in Eastern religion, thinking that was the way. And a lot of people might have done that, but they would never say that they did that and in a book, in a Christian book, but he did, and God showed him that that was not the way, and that was why I felt, because I'm quite selective about the books that I read, I felt comfortable to read his own test, it's all it is, it's just his testimony, and anyway, and um, one of the, the, the key points I learned from that book was, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you, and I learned to start to give thanks for every single thing, you know, um, I get a letter from the, the British gas or whoever to say your, your bill is well overdue and we're going to disconnect you and I say thank you Jesus that I've got this letter that they want to disconnect me I don't know what you're doing in the background but because you permitted it to happen it must be good for me because all things happen for the good of those who love God all things regardless of what it is so I learned during that period not to 
make judgments or decision based on the physical because the physical is very misleading and God doesn't leave he doesn't it's temporal he doesn't walk in our realm he doesn't he's not limited by time he's not a god of the flesh you know we are limited by time yes we are spirits and we live in a body but we live on earth and earth is a finite place it's it's it, it's tangible it's finite it will come to an end and it's even a fallen state anyway the world is fallen and there will be challenges there will be you know all kinds of challenges because and the reason i learned how to not um trust my physical circumstances is because i would read scriptures like i have blessed you with every blessing i will make you the head and not the tail but then they do not correlate with what's going on in my life but then i god showed me that i needed to have more confidence in his word than what my eyes could see so even if you're looking and you see this wall is cream if the lord says it's black don't trust what your eyes are saying. That's basically what it is. Trust what God says. Trust what the word of God says that although all of my senses are telling me one thing, although there is sickness in my body, although my marriage is falling apart and my husband's going crazy over his, his foolishness, whatever he's doing, although my children are acting wayward, although, um, you know, financially my bank is clearly in in the in the burgundy because red is not even bright enough you know it's like it's almost it's beyond red it's yellow whatever although i see these things with my eyes although i can touch this bill that has been unpaid i believe what the word of god says what's happening to me is not the truth that's just an apparition that's just um what's the word that that's that's just something that i see it's like a mirage it's not real it looks real but it's not real so because of that we don't believe what we see we don't use our our, um, our physical senses to make decisions you know and god started to teach me not to trust my circumstances over his word you know i'm you know you go to churches and you hear sermons and you read books and they talk about um confessing name it and claim it confess the word and all of that do you know there's a difference between confessing the word of god and chanting the word of god and yes there have been times that i've had to chant because i you know i needed to bring my place myself to a place of believing maybe i didn't believe what i was reading but i'll go ahead and say it anyway but the truth is if you don't believe what you're saying it's not going to come to pass because you have to believe it because it's faith isn't it you know and faith is the evidence of things that are hoped for and that's another thing as well is that scripture that says faith is the evidence of things that are hoped for the thing that you hope for the um, marriage that is back on the track and is joyful and filled with filled with peace and happiness um, the body that you expect to be completely made whole the evidence is not in the presence of it happening if that makes any sense the proof that you are healed is not in the physical body being healed the proof is in your faith so that's you don't look and say but god i prayed how come you know i'm still ill how come my body is still ill how come i prayed at my marriage no that's not the evidence of answered prayers the evidence is in the faith that you believe and you don't see the faith so you have to have faith if that may hopefully hope i haven't succeeded in confusing you but you have to have faith and so that that happened now fast forward um a few years after that maybe about four or five years after that experience where i learned to start um trusting god and everything sorry before going going forward um there was a time that i remember feeling 
very down. I was just so discouraged about everything that was going on around me. Um, and one of the things that happens when you're going through a trial, what the devil does is he isolates you from people and gives you this impression, you know, like, oh, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me, or they're looking at me and pitying me or whatever. But anyway, I, I did remove myself and I kept myself to, to myself. But I remember feeling one day, I had run an errand for my mother-in-law and I was going back home, I was driving back home and I just started crying. You know, I was crying because I was fed up, I was overwhelmed and I just did not see any way out. It was almost like being in a pit and it's dark and it's covered on top and you don't even know that you would possibly ever get pulled out of that pit. And I just did not have the strength to do that. And there wasn't a lot going on in my life to give me joy either. And when I, on my way home, I just was crying and I was just crying out to God. I said, God, I'm just so tired and I'm so fed up. And when I got home, as I walked in, the phone was ringing and it was my good friend from, from Atlanta and she called me and she just called me to say hello. And we spoke on the phone for an hour. I didn't tell her what I was going through. We just had a normal conversation. And when I got off the phone, I just felt in my spirit, I just knew that God moved her to call me because my spirit was so lifted, you know, so, and I say that because sometimes when you pray for one thing, the way the Lord answers is very different from what you expect. You know, um, there was another time that I was desperate again, crying out and just praying and, and um, I got on my knees and I just started praying and I was praying in the spirit and I began to get filled with this joy. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, my, my um, bills were still not paid. Um, you know, my, my business was still fledgling. There was nothing happening there. You know, we were every, nothing was the way that it was supposed to be. And yet I had joy. And I understood that God is able to give us joy in the midst of a storm. And the joy that God gives us is what gives us the strength to carry on. And sometimes the strength... You know, when I had that experience of supernatural joy, because it is, it's supernatural when there is no physical cause for it, right? When I had that experience of supernatural joy, it lasted about three days. I was on top of the world. I was so happy and I was so hopeful for my future. But then three days later, I noticed it started to dissipate. And I was like, God, I really, really enjoyed that. You know, I want more of it. And then I slowly went back into the rot again. Then eventually I was able to pray myself out of the rot and, and I got filled with that joy again. And then after a while I realized I couldn't live without it. You know, it became very, very addictive. And I understood for the first time what, what drug addiction must be like because if I was this euphoric walking around, you know, I could just imagine what it's like, you know. And um, I had that joy and God told me that the joy that he gave me was not simply to erase the sorrow and life go on as normal. The joy he gave me was to give me the strength to get myself out of the rut, stand on a platform and do the things that I was supposed to do. So for example, in my case, I'm running a business. There were times that I was just paralyzed and just discouraged and wouldn't even work on the business. I would just stare at it. God gave me the joy to strengthen me to work with the business, to work, to work on it. So now fast forward a few years and um, my son was, he became very ill, my, my second son. <clears throat> that was very, he, it wasn't a gradual illness or anything like that. One day he's perfectly fine and the next day we're in hospital. A um, couple of days after that, he's literally at the point of death. And you know, it was initially when we got there, 
I wasn't even praying because I just thought oh, it's not a big deal. Yes, we've been admitted, they're just being cautious. You know, it's not a big deal. My main concern was my customers and, and I had my laptop brought to me. I didn't realize, I didn't know what was waiting for me a couple of days later. And um, when uh, the doctors came and, and we realized that things were actually escalating, um, we got moved into a critical world just to ask them, we're in there, there are tons of doctors around, there are tons of nurses, they're all holding different conferences saying, well, his mother said he didn't have asthma, and um, well, she said nothing went in his nose, and because he just all of a sudden couldn't breathe on his own, I know everything they were giving him, he wasn't responding to it. So I thought, you know what, it's time to pray. So I went, on, went and I began praying, and I mustered up all the faith that I could, like I did the time when I prayed for that money to come through, and I began praying and nothing was happening. That really confused me because I thought, but God, I'm the same person. Nothing has changed. I'm not backslidden. I still have a relationship with you. You've answered other prayers in between then, but that was probably the biggest landmark. But, you know, here, here I am. I need you now. And, and he's getting worse and worse. And then at one point it occurred to me, I thought, oh, perhaps God is just waiting for um, there to be a real crowd. And then he'll just heal him instantly and everybody would see the glory of God. And of course that didn't happen. So um, I went, went up to him and I began praying for him to fall asleep because he, him being awake and couldn't breathe, I felt if he slept, maybe, I don't know, I just really wanted him to sleep. Um, so I'm praying and... and um, I said to him, you know, we need to fight. And he goes, I don't know how to fight. I said, just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I said to him, um, and he began saying, he said, this is really hard. I can't say Jesus. Okay. I can't say Jesus. I said, okay, say it in your heart. And I began praying for him to fall asleep. Um, we prayed the scripture in Psalm 103, I think it is, that says, blessed is he who forgives my, my, my sins and heals my diseases. And, um, you know, pray, pray that and asked for, for forgiveness and, and asked him to heal and nothing happened. Eventually he fell asleep. And then the doctors called me and said, um, um, I'm so sorry, but we've done everything we can and he's too sick. Um, we can't treat him anymore. There really isn't anything else to do. We have to transfer him to another hospital. And it's not the words that a mother needs to hear ever. And, you know, I was standing when he told me these things, but as he said it, my, my heart literally turned to liquid, like warm liquid, and started dripping down my body. This is just the sensation I felt going down my body. And by the time the liquid heart got to my knees, my knees were also melting, and I just had to sit down. I couldn't stand. And I began begging this doctor. You know, I, I grew up, my father's a surgeon, and growing up in Nigeria, we would have people run to our... Um, run to our home and beg my father, you know, like, you know, doctor, doctor, and they'll beg. And my brothers and I were always like, why are they begging? You know, he wants to heal them. And to us, it was, it was funny. We laughed about it. But here I was begging this doctor. I said, there must be something you can do. There must be another drug. Why don't you try steroids? Why don't you try this? And I'm begging him. And he goes, listen, there is nothing. There's nothing we can do. We, and, and for us to transfer him, we have to put him in a coma. Uh, we, we can't because we can't transfer him and and we need to put him on on life support as well because he can't breathe and and as he's saying these things it was being it was almost as though there was a middleman between the doctor and I who was interpreting his words so when he said coma he's I he's induced coma the interpretation was he's going to be in a coma and he'll never wake up from that and when he said breathing machine or help him breathe I had life support machine that they will one day switch off 
you know, and these, these things were being interpreted to me. And I didn't know at the time that the enemy was speaking to me. I mean, he, he was literally oppressing me and pressing me down. Never had that. Well, I must have had that experience, but I didn't recognize what it was. But at that point, I didn't know what it was. Um, and then they said to me, so they wheeled him over to the theater to go put him to sleep. They said to me to put my, um, pack our things since we're going to another hospital. And I needed, a, because we had acquired so much, I had to decide what to pack and what to leave. And as I picked up his shoes, the devil said to me, you're not going to need those shoes. He's not walking out alive. And I was just in, I was like a zombie, you know, and he was just speaking into my ears. Um, and a, a lot of things happened. And in the end, um, what happened, my, I called a friend, I called four friends to help me pray. Um, one of them said to me, I'll call you right back. This was about 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, another one went to voicemail. Another one was my auntie who said to me, we won't cast our foot before it's time and I'm going to get everyone to pray. And the third one said to me, the fourth one said to me that it was um, an attack of the enemy, which again, I didn't really, wasn't well versed in dealing with attacks and things like that. I was like, what, who, why would the enemy choose me of all people? What did I do to him? You know, Why would he choose to attack me? Um, so anyway, my friend calls me back and she says, the reason I told you I was going to call you back is because um, the Lord woke me up about five minutes before you called and said you were about to call me. So now that you've called me, I have to hang up and say, Lord, what should I do? And God says you should read, I think it was Psalm 22. And she gave me a number of scriptures to read and said she was on her way down to join me at the hospital. When I started reading, I know there was one of the Psalms was David crying out to God and it says, my heart is like wax and it melts. And it sounded so familiar to what I was going through. And I thought, okay, maybe God can hear me because I couldn't feel God's presence. And normally I can feel God's presence. Normally I'll talk to the Lord and he'll speak back to me, but I couldn't feel his presence that time. I thought, okay, maybe God is there. Maybe God is there. Um, so we, uh, when we, so she arrived, we went up, up to the theater. Um, they said, you know, you can come in and see him. When I walked in, the devil spoke again. He says, that's not Reese. That's just his body powered by a machine. Reese is gone. And, you know, I looked at Reese's body for evidence that that wasn't true, that he was alive. And the evidence was not there because his, his breathing had become very unnatural because it was machine, now on a machine. And his eyes were taped down to keep them closed and they were open. He, you know, and a lot of people say that when, when they go to see um, loved ones who have passed away, they look like they were fast asleep. In his case, he looked like he was dead. He didn't look like he was sleeping. And um, when the devil said that, you know, I'm just, I couldn't even fight. I didn't have the strength to say, I rebuke you, Satan, because I didn't even know that there was a devil. I just thought that's how things were supposed to be. So we went, my friend and I went and we began praying. And I began praying, I just, just praying. I was like, Jesus, I just didn't know what to do. I was crying out. And as I was praying, I saw the words of Christ in red, exactly how I used to read it back, because I hadn't even read that much of it then. And where it says, I will send you a helper. And that was all. And I just said, the Holy Spirit is my helper. And I said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what sort of prayer will bring my son back to life. But you are my helper. Help me pray the prayer that would ensure that he lives and he doesn't die. And the minute I said that, I saw um, a door, which again, I... At that, up until that point, I don't think I'd ever seen a vision in my life. I saw a door and there was a very, 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 very tiny keyhole, almost the size of the eye of a needle. And through that keyhole, there was light. 
which meant that there was light behind the door. And I heard the words very clearly. <clears throat> this time, the voice was much more authoritative and louder than what the devil who had been speaking to me. And the word, the word that God said to me, he said, you're not a child of darkness. You're a child of the kingdom of light. And the minute he said that, the scales dropped from my eyes, and I realized that I had been oppressed all this time by the devil, that he had been ruling, he had been you know, controlling the situation and controlling me and abusing my mind, and I just rebuked him in the name of Jesus. And I did, and literally just felt like he was gone, and that oppressing feeling, oppression, the feeling of oppression literally left me. Um, the dog, the, the, um, there's a specialized team that transfer um, children or, or sick, very, very sick patients from hospital to hospital. And that team arrived, they came to, to get Reese. When they got there, they picked up, um, they had so many bags, there were about six big men, and they had so many bags and bags upon bags. I don't know what were in the bags. So we left, came out of the theater to give them room to work. And we we're out there sitting outside the theater, my friend and I, and we're just praying in the spirit. And, you know, every time one of them comes out to say, they pick up tubes, for example, and they say, do you think we should use the red one or the blue one? Which is the better size? My friend says, Father, don't let them make that decision. You tell them whether to make the red, use the red or use the blue. And that's what, what we did, like every step of the way, we just prayed very specifically. Then we went back into the theater to see him again, and we noticed that all so many, he had been hooked up to quite a few monitors. They were all beeping, you know, different numbers were beeping. And I asked, I said, what is this number? And they said, oh, that particular number was around, it was beeping between 22, going between 22 and 23. I said, um, they said to me that that number is, um, records the pressure that the machine is having to force air into his lungs to help him breathe. And um, I said, what is this supposed to be? He said, in a normal person, it should be eight or nine, but in him, it was about 22. So it meant that it his lungs were tightly closed and he was pushing. And so my friend begins shouting at the number, you know, drop down, drop down to 20. And the plan was just drop, just get it dropping down. And we began praying for all these numbers to come back to life and everything. So it was time to, now by this time it was time for us to leave. And as we were leaving, a lot of the doctors who had helped were standing by the door to, 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 to say goodbye to us. And, and they were so sorrowful and they were so mournful and they were so hopeless about it. And they, they were like, oh, one, I remember one of them in particular said to me, I really hope everything works out well. My son's name is Reese as well, all the best. And they didn't have any hope. It was like, you know, they might as well have given me sympathy cards right there and then. And we got into the ambulance and the Holy Spirit said to me, ignorance is not bliss, ask questions. So I began asking questions. Why wasn't he responding to, to the medication? Because the hospital where we were at, where Princess Royal, was a relatively new, well-equipped hospital. What do the other hospital at St. Thomas have that they don't have over here? And they explained to me everything that was going to be done. They spoke to me as though they believed that Reese was going to be alive because they said he would, he, we would leave him to rest for 24 hours, then we will begin pumping out mucus from his lungs. That's what they said. You know, and, and they just believed that he was going to live. They even gave me a teddy. When he wakes up, give this to him, tell him it's from us. 
and all of that. When we, as we're driving through the, um, driving through the streets of London, by this time it was about five or six, uh, on a, very early on a Sunday morning, the streets were empty, but still the sirens were going. I made the decision never, ever, ever to, to mutter a word of complaint about speeding ambulances again. If I ever see an ambulance, now I pray. I move aside and I pray for whoever's in there and bless the drivers and bless the team that are there because they do such an amazing job. And I finally understood why people bequeath their wealth to institutions because the truth is, you know, by God's grace, I will give them some money when I pass on because they saved my son's life. You know, they helped and they helped so many people. Or should I say God used them to save, to save his life. Um, so we got to the hospital. What was amazing is the minute we got to the hospital, we went through an en we went through the back entrance. So this is like a first for me. You know, we always go through the front, but there is a back entrance for ambulances. And I was like, wow, this is different. But the minute my feet stepped out of the ambulance and onto the soil, I felt the most amazing sense of peace. I just knew the battle was won. I just knew he would be fine. I don't know, I can't explain why, but on that particular soil, it was very different. It was not the same atmosphere at all. Considering the fact that intensive care unit, which is where he was taken to, is um, you would expect that to be highly charged and highly tense but I was so relaxed, so much so that I didn't even sit next to him by the bed. I just pulled a chair to a corner and just had my Bible and I was just reading my Bible and just praying in the corner and I just knew he was fine. And, you know, over the next couple of, um, over the next couple of um, hours, he you know, they began to walk on him, walk on him and, and every time they came, within about 12 hours later, every single time they came, they'll pull out a tube, you don't need this anymore, or you're fine, or you don't need that fine, you don't need that anymore. Um, and then we had people praying for us, you know, so many churches all over the world, you know, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in the United States, you know, there were pr people were praying for us because thankfully it happened on a Sunday and everyone who knew us had emailed some texts or sent a text or WhatsApp to some pastor anywhere in the world and they were praying for this child called Reese. And it was just such an amazing feeling, you know, and such a blessing to be in the kingdom of God that, you know, where else will you get that, that, that level of support? And, and I, I learned that in our church, in our church, um, you know, they, they prayed that, um, that he would be out by, that he would be out of intensive care by Monday. That was what Brother Fred had said in the prayer, prayer request. And um, come Monday, he woke up, he woke up at night and just after midnight on Sunday or so. And the feeling of him waking up can only be compared to when you give birth to a new child. And for the first time I slept, because I hadn't been sleeping, I slept and we had to sleep, I had to sleep in one of the wards upstairs and I told them to wake me up when he woke up and they woke me up just after midnight. And um, the scripture, which I hadn't read in years, you know, the end of the prodigal child where son where he said, this my son who was dead is now alive. That just came to me and I knew that was God again. You know, I just knew that was God. And when the Lord speaks to you and you see the Lord move in your situation, all it is is it's an expression of his love for us. You know, it's just the fact that he loves us so much, he's not leaving us to ourselves to do whatever it is we want to do, you know? And so that was that and, and it was just such, the whole experience obviously is the biggest landmark of my life. You know, we thank God I've had quite a few, but that has got to be the biggest landmark of my life. 
one of the scriptures I learned during that period or what the, the lessons I learned was where in John chapter 10 verse 27 where Jesus says my sheep know my voice and they hear me you know we need to know the voice of God because when I was in the hospital and the devil is telling me all those things like he's not going to wake up and all that I did not know that that was not God I didn't think it was God but I didn't think it wasn't God either I just was obeying I was just going with the flow I didn't I couldn't I couldn't um, discern at that point to say that's definitely not the Lord you know so that was that um, and so what I the big, biggest lesson I learned from my experience with risk being ill and God healing him is is the importance of being intimate with God you know that it's necessary for us to walk one-on-one -on -one with God you know and and it's just you know walking with God there is no comparison it's not even worth not walking with God you know it really isn't worth the hassle because God saves us from so much and he gives us direction you know in in so many other parts of our lives the benefits is that obviously you have foresight into situations you know when you're about to get into a situation for example you know the fact that i run a business and i'm you know you know from time to time i have to do collaborations with other companies and i really i don't know who i'm dealing with from one next to the to the other there was one point i had a girl to work for me only for her to tell me at the meeting where after i had hired her that she was a witch you know i did not know that english girl and the funny thing about it is that when she said so, I thought, okay, God. And I felt like maybe, maybe I'm going to be the light to her. I don't know. But anyway, so we, I, I go up to have a meeting with her, drive up to Kingston. And on the way there, I was running late. And she sent me a text to tell me where she was seated. We were meant to meet at Costa Coffee or something. And she sent the text. And this, the text had said something, something devil. And then she re sends a second text and says, Tokes, I don't know how that, how that happened. I'm so sorry, it's my predictive text. How on earth devil gets into predictive text, text is beyond me. So anyway, because that was what, so you get foresight into who you're dealing with and what you're dealing with. Um, you know, when Moses, when, you know, when Moses was about, when God sent Moses over to, to speak to, to Pharaoh, God told him what was going to happen. You know, he said to him, I'm going to harden his heart. He's going to say no. Then I'm going to give him, give, do this plague. He's still going to say no. The next plague, he's still going to say no. And then in the end, this is what I'm going to do. And finally, he's going to let you go. The truth is, if he, if he didn't have that relationship with God to know what was going to happen, by the time he, even if he went, decided to obey and go to Pharaoh, after plague one and two, I know I would have turned my back and gone. I wouldn't go, but God had given him the blueprint and had told him, don't worry, this is, this is all going to happen. And that's one of the benefits of um, intimacy with God. Also, um, David, I mean, the, the story of David's life is just so amazing, so beautiful in the way that every single step of the way he will ask God for direction. You know, there was one, when, one time, if you remember, he, he was, he, I think the, the, the um, Philistines went and they went, they went into um, this town, I can't remember the name, it starts with a K, and they went in there to, and they were eating bread or they were taking the, the, the wheat or something, and people came to tell David, and David said, should I go and attack them? And, and God says, yes. And, and he goes, will I win? And God says, yes. Should I attack them from the left or from the right? And God says, go from the right, then turn left and whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, very, very clear-cut directions. And that's one of the blessings of being intimate with God. With. And then the other thing is that it gives you the confidence that no matter what it is you're going through, marital problems, whatever, you know how the story ends. 
you know. And I remember one, I read um, a devotional once where somebody was, had asked the question, how do I know when God wants me to do so? How about when the times I want to do something, like I want to get into a business deal, for example, or a career change, and I don't know what God says about it. <clears throat> I've prayed about it and I haven't really heard God. How do I know what decision to make? And there were two answers. One guy said, and both Christians, one guy said that what he does is that <clears throat> he um, prays and he tells the Lord, Lord, I'm about to go into this business deal with this person um, and I'm not sure whether or not to go and I'm going to pray. At the end of the prayer, whatever I feel like doing at that point, I'm trusting that that's what you're telling me to do. And that's what he, he, that was his method. And the other guy, he said, which I think is so, so wonderful, is that he just prays about it and he makes a logical decision, knowing that if he's making the wrong decision, God will catch him anyway, which is such a, it gives us so much peace and confidence that you know what, we can go ahead, don't let fear stop you from making decisions because the truth is God will catch you. We have made so many mistakes in our lives, but are we not still standing today? God has redeemed us, and he has turned around the bad for our good, and he will do it every single time. And then um, I, one of the things that um, I, I used to be uh, part of a church group many years ago where they believed that, and a lot of Christians do believe that today, that if things are not going your way um, in a particular part of life, then you must be doing something wrong. And that's not necessarily true because God permits trials to happen to us. And through the trials, he teaches us, you know, he and he glorifies himself and he makes us stronger. And Jesus says, in this world, we will face many trials. We have been warned. So we know we will face trials, you know, so, but, but God says that, you know what, you will face trials and God forbid that he's been reduced to a point where the only way he can communicate with us is through hardship. That's not true. God, God is God. You know, he communicates through, in us through blessings and, and through challenges. He's always with us, always, regardless of, I mean, I thank God that he's God and I'm not God because even when we, when we sin, when we make mistakes, his love pursues us and chases after us and, and to redeem us. Um, the fruit of the spirit, um, you know, sometimes we pray for the fruit of the spirit and then we go. But to be honest, fruit are cultivated. You don't speak of fruit into being. You have to cultivate it. And, and it does take work. You know, so you're praying for, for patience. You're praying for the fruit of patience, for example. But your immigration trouble is taking years to come to fruition. You are cultivating the fruit of patience. It's not that God hasn't heard you. You know, so sometimes we're going through trials and it's just the cultivating of the fruit of the spirit that's happening, you know. And finally, I want to also say that with regards to trials is that it's an opportunity for blessing, not to waste the trials. You know, I used to sit in a corner and just huddle in a corner waiting for the storm to pass. But no, we're meant to walk through the storm. Walk through it, you get tougher, you get stronger, and you're moving. You know, if you stay in the corner, that storm is going to come back anyway because there are things inside of us that God wants to take out that only the storm or the pruning of the tree takes out, and it's always painful. So you know what? When we have a child, we thank God. And the good thing about it is that his grace is always sufficient for us. And then quickly, the things that hinder intimacy with God is fear. So any form of fear whatsoever keeps us separated from God because if you're close to a God as big as our God, who on earth can stand against you? Nobody. You know, so when, and, and it's, I guess that's an in indication as well that when you're feeling afraid, 
perhaps it is an indication that we're a bit too close, too far away from God, and the solution is to come close to God. Um, being too busy is another one. I know I'm definitely guilty of the, of this. You know, piling too many things on our plate so that we don't make we don't leave make time for God and we don't make room for God. That's being too busy. Um, clutter, clutter could be physical clutter or mental clutter. You know, these things, you know, they, they fill our minds and they snuff out the voice of God, you know, and, and if you have too much information in your head, um, some of us are information junkies, especially with, with the internet and Facebook and everything. If you have too much information in your head, it's almost like filling, filling your garden with weeds and it's going to be very hard for you to you know, to identify the beautiful flowers that are actually growing there, the word of God. And then finally, it's pride as well. Pride is another thing where we feel like, hey, I can do it on my own. You know, you know, this person did it on their own and they were fine. You know, I, I don't need this. I, I don't want to be super spiritual. I don't feel the need to pray for every single thing. I want to make something, which is nice, you know, if you, you know, but, but <laughs> it works for you. But the truth is that it's beautiful walking hand in hand with God. Even the stupidest decisions, like, Lord, I'm about to cross, uh, to, to go somewhere, and I'm not sure, should I turn left or should I turn right? You know, and I do that sometimes, not because I'm not intelligent enough to make the decision, but because I want to feel close to God, and I want God to, to be with me in the car. Like, just show me, should I go left or should I go right? You know, and, and so, so I hope that's blessed you. That's... <laughs> 